Fantastic. Just extend welcome again to you folks and anyone who's visiting this morning. Welcome to Creech Baptist Church. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. Been with Ali this morning, who's been up here uh, leading as well. But just to say a couple of things. Um, in uh, uh, if you know the uh, parish church, our friends down at the parish church, St Michael's, their church is open at the moment. If you do want a quiet space when the life cafe is not on, you can go down and uh, just pray or take some time out in uh, their church um, uh, place uh, just to respectfully sit in quiet and your thoughts and prayers. And also, as you go today, you'll find uh, these little cards over by the coffee or by the door as you go. And it's just it's a lovely photo, actually. And it's got the prayer that Ali read that Lynn Green had written. Um, so uh, do take one of those um, uh, today. That would be fantastic. All right, let's see if I can find this clicker. Nope. Um, yes, here we are. If we can bring up the PowerPoint, please. Thank you for your prayers. Those who have been praying for me with... Um, with my infection. Uh, so I've not seen you for about three weeks now. It's very strange. It's nice to see you all. Hello. Um, I was away in France and then I got this infection in my ears. I'll be honest with you, I can barely hear you. It's like I'm... So it's a bit fun this morning. The thing that tends to happen is I tend to talk really quietly because I don't know I'm talking quietly because we love my head. Um, so if I'm whispering, just someone shout, Matt, speak up with you. Um, or turn the mic up, might work as well. All right, so we're going to start off this morning our new series, Lives Transformed by Jesus, the life-changing presence and compassion of our King. Mark, we're back in the Gospel of Mark here, and it was a good chunk of Gospel that uh, June read for us. And you may be wondering, um, how on earth is a story about demonic pigs going to in any way be relevant this morning? And the first time we meet together after such the news that we've had. Um, and you think as a pastor, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Shall I dump it? Shall I go with something different? Um, but actually, there was so much of what I wanted to say that I sense the Lord has said from this passage that resonates today. Um, uh, that this is what we're going to look at, uh, this, uh, look at this passage known as the a garrison demoniac, quite an extraordinary, visceral, um, striking passage. Because today, I want to talk to you about... That's not got any batteries in it. That's a shame. Can we get to the next one? No. <laughs> Triple A's, if you've got any voice, that'd be marvellous. Um, if you could flick to the next PowerPoint, please, that'd be, that'd be brilliant. I want to talk to you today about being anointed to make a difference. Right. This is where we just push play on a little bit of lift holding music. There we go. Let's see. Has that worked? Marvellous. It has. Let's go in the bin. Thanks, Malk. That's brilliant. All right. But first, before we talk about this idea of being anointed to make a difference, I want to ask you a question. Um, when you were little... Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Anyone here really have an idea? Um, so I thought I'd ask my kiddies. They've got four kiddies, so you know. Um, eldest is in year nine. The youngest is in uh, first year, year one, primary school, and two girls in the middle. And I went in, and the three eldest went, oh, I don't really know, Dad. What do you want to be when you're older, kids? <laughs> Dad, what? Um, I don't know, Dad. Emily went, oh, I think I probably want to work with animals. That's, that's good. But when you're five, when you're happy, oh, you know what you want to be when you're older, don't you? We all knew what we wanted to be when we're five. Immediately, Dad, Dad, 
without question, I would like to be a pirate. <laughs> I was like, wow, that sounds cool. You want to be a pirate? Yeah, yeah, I do, Dad. Yeah, okay. Um, so then he asked me, so, um, so how, how do I become a pirate, Dad? <laughs> and I had to break it to him. The parts he's really talking about, well, they don't really exist anymore, Harry, I'm afraid. And kind of looked a bit sad, but almost undeterred, he went with his second option. Okay, then, he said, then I want to be a Star Wars stormtrooper. <laughs> I was like, wow, that, that, sounds, that sounds really good. And he followed me out to the kitchen. I thought our conversation was over at this point. Went to make a cup of tea. He followed me out with this very thoughtful face. And he said, um, so, uh... Where do I go, Dad, to train to be a stormtrooper? <laughs> and again, I had to break the news to him. I'm really sorry, Harry, but they're actually only in movies. Um, and it was at that point his heart really sank. And he said, then what can I be, Dad? <laughs> if I can't be a pirate or a stormtrooper, what can I be? The truth is, <coughs> some are really sure about what they want to do with their lives from a very young age. Most of us don't have a clue. I wanted to be a baker because I like the smell of bread. Didn't work out. Didn't have Baptist minister on my, uh, on my list. Um, here we are. Um, but for the young Elizabeth, for the Queen, uh, being the Queen wasn't on her list either, if you remember. She was not in the direct line of succession. Um, so who knows what she dreamed of being when she grew up. And yet, 11 years old, everything changed for her. Father unexpectedly became king when his brother abdicated. And from that moment onwards, suddenly, she knew what she was going to be when she grew up. She knew what the future held. One day she'd become queen. And it appears this clarity of calling never wavered. Ten years on, she delivered one of the most famous speeches of all. 21-year-old princess declared to Britain, to the then empire, declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. God, help me to make good my vow, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. This was her calling. This was her destiny. There were no ifs and no buts, and she would serve her people till a dying day she decided, however long or short her life would be. And six years later, I think far sooner, than she would ever have hoped or imagined, just 27, Elizabeth became our queen for... Maybe 71 years, that's exactly what she did, didn't she? She served, day in, day out. And the thing I think that amazes me the most is that just 48 hours before she died, she welcomed in the new Prime Minister. I find that humbling. If ever there was a moment where you could say, can I just have a rest now? Can I just stop now? Is it okay if I just have a cup of tea and a biscuit and don't do that? No. She got herself dressed and welcomed in the new Prime Minister. I find it very humbling, extraordinary. See, Elizabeth believed, whatever you think about her entry system, because of her faith, she believed if this was the position she was put in, that God was going to use her, that God had a plan for her to make a difference in this world. And so that's what she set out to do. The day of her coronation, 2nd of June, 1953, she made a solemn promise to faithfully govern her people. I, I read up the promises, extraordinary, because we'll hear them again, probably next year with Charles, to maintain justice and mercy in all her judgments, to maintain the laws of God and the profession of the gospel. It's all there. And in that moment, she was being asked, 
Would she live this life of service and example her whole life long? And she said, yes, with God's help, I will do that. And then in the most holy part of the coronation ceremony, the most private and significant moment, this ancient custom occurred. Custom found throughout the Old Testament in the Bible. She was anointed with oil. This was to mark out and seal the significance of this lifelong calling that was put upon her. It's so significant, so holy to this moment. If you look behind me or look on the screen, you can see this canopy being walked in by these knights of the garter. They covered her up. They, they shielded her from the people. And the TV cameras turned away as the Archbishop of Canterbury took a golden spoon, poured holy and beautifully perfumed oil into it, and then anointed the queen on her hands, on her breast, on her head. So in that moment, Queen Elizabeth II was anointed as the mark of someone chosen to accomplish a specific task of service in this world. In that moment, that 27-year-old lady was anointed to become someone who would make a difference. And I believe she understood that. Because although (laughs) it is said she was genuinely humble, I can't tell you if she was or not, People who knew her said she was. She wasn't fussy. She wasn't particularly aloof. And yet she never shied away from being the best queen she could be. The best queen she knew how to be. She took it so seriously. Because she knew that whether she liked it or not, from that day on, there was no hiding. There was no room that she could enter without being profoundly changed by her presence. Imagine that. Every room you step into, everyone's like, whoa, you're here. There was no person too high on the world stage for her not to make a significant impact on. Whether she was with ordinary folk, with the highest leaders, presidents of the world, all eyes, all focus, all fascination, all respect was given to her. In fact, I read so potent was this awe around the Queen that an actress called Imelda Staunton, who played the Queen in a uh, movie on uh, the cinema, um, she said something would happen. That when she put the wig on, so she's dressed up as a queen, when she put the wig on, the moment she put the wig on, everyone on set would change around her. They couldn't help it. They would go from, you're right, Melda, come on, and then be something like, are you okay, madam? Is there anything I can do for you? They'd take a step back of reference, they'd open the doors, they'd, they'd, they'd make her cups of tea. She said it was bizarre. So great was this combination of office and calling and anointing and the character of the queen that when she would arrive no matter where it was the very atmosphere of the place would change she could not help but make a difference in this world i simply want to say something to you this morning this is what i want to talk about believe it or not the bible says that if you're a christian this morning no matter who you are what you do what your job, pirate or builder, stormtrooper or teacher, you too are anointed to be someone who makes a difference in this world. Whether you're in work or out of work, whether you're just beginning your working life, training or you're retired, you have a clear calling on your life, for your whole life long. 
God has made you, he has called you, and the Bible says he has anointed you to be someone who makes a difference in this world and changes, believe it or not, the atmosphere of the places you go. Someone who carries an authority, a character, and an anointing of the Holy Spirit that truly makes a difference in your workplace, in your home, wherever you go. Extraordinary thought. Let's explore this idea briefly, just for a moment. In the Old Testament, I can't go into this in any depth at all, but this ancient practice of anointing with oil is found. The kings, of course, Saul and David, anointed by Samuel. And then, of course, we all know who anointed Solomon, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, as the big song goes that will be played at a handle, I think, at uh, the king's anointing as well. Anointed Solomon king. They would take the oil and pour it on the heads uh, of the symbol of those set apart by God to make a difference. But it wasn't just kings. It was done to priests and prophets as well. Those set apart for a specific role, a task to serve God and to serve his people. And it was a hugely powerful symbol that this person had this calling on their lives. But it was also closely related to the gift of the Spirit in the Old Testament. It wasn't just oil that rested on these people chosen. The Spirit of God himself now rested upon them to equip them for the task ahead. 1 Samuel 16, 13, so Samuel took the oil, the horn of oil, and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. In the time when God held back the presence of his Spirit, there were a chosen few who actually carried his presence among their nation and among their people. Here's someone when they arrived and walked into a room, the presence of God came with them. Not only did people revere them, but the spiritual atmosphere itself shifted. From that moment, their anointing with oil, these people knew their destiny and their calling. Their whole life long to serve God, to make a difference to his people and in this world. Yet tragically, time and again, these people messed it up. These purple people, none of them really were worthy of such an anointing and a blessing carried the presence of the Spirit of God with them, became selfish and pursued evil gains. But the prophets of old spoke of a king who would one day come, who would be so powerfully anointed by the Spirit, and who would carry this anointing of God in such a perfect way that he would make a bigger difference than we could ever imagine. He would change the world and God's people forever. He would deliver them from oppression, save them from their sin, make a way for a new relationship with God, bring about such a change in the spiritual atmosphere here on earth that the kingdom of God would break in like a light shining in the darkness. This king is coming, they would say. This one who was coming would simply be called the Messiah, the Christ, which means the anointed one. The anointed one. That person, that king, that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, who came and walked this earth 2,000 years ago. From the very beginning of his ministry, we realise Jesus knew his calling as the anointed king. He knew he was anointed, set apart, empowered by the Spirit to follow God and to make a difference in this world. He had come to utterly transform lives. Sometimes simply by his presence among them. 
He'd come to set people free, renew them, restore them through his works of grace and love and compassion. And one of the very first acts of his ministry, Jesus goes to the synagogue. You'll know this because I read it lots. I love the fact that this is how Jesus kicked off his ministry. He reads this passage from Isaiah 61 and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus was and is the anointed one who came to proclaim good news, to bring freedom, to bring recovery of sight, to set captives free, to transform the spiritual atmosphere, to see the manifestations of the kingdom of God breaking in, to transform lives. And that is exactly what we saw in our reading or heard in our reading today of demons and pigs. And no, I'm not going to go through the whole reading as we normally would. I'm not going to preach on it uh, verse by verse this morning. But I do want to reflect on it just briefly with you. Because here's Jesus and his disciples turning up to a place of real spiritual darkness. The night before, they were in the boat crossing across um, the lake and this was the night that he'd calmed the storm. It doesn't say what time they arrived here in this place called the Gerasenes. But it's possibly just the first morning light as they're getting there. It may still be quite dark. And they arrived. In this place of spiritual darkness. I don't know if you've ever been to a place that modern language would say, oh, this place gives me the creeps. I mean, people pursue that, like ghost trains and silly movies and things to give them the creeps. But actually, if we don't just take silly sight of it, there is something sometimes in a place or a building or an atmosphere where you go, this doesn't feel right. There is something spiritual going on. Um, when my brother and I went to Glastonbury, I loved Glastonbury. I thought it was phenomenal. We loved the music and everything. We worked for one day this year. But there was this particular part of a particular field where when my brother and I walked into it, we both stopped. Would oh, you feel that? It was as if the weight was heavy, the, the air was heavy. And my brother's not huge on sharing things like that. So I just asked very cautiously. I said, is it just me? Or does this not feel right here? And he said, no, I feel exactly the same. Almost like the pressure in our ears had gone... Um, and we just noted the atmosphere wasn't quite right. And as we left that place, the atmosphere changed again. I don't want you to build a theology on that. That is anecdotal. It's just an experience. It may have been just one of those things. But actually, I do believe that there are places that are spiritually dark. Um, and the atmosphere has been changed. And this is the kind of place that Jesus and his disciples walk into as they pull up on the shore near this region of the Gerasenes. Here there were tombs all round. It was a place of the physically dead. That's not necessarily a bad thing in itself, but it was also a place of spiritual death as well. For here a man who was deeply troubled, shunned by his community, lives among the tombs, chained there for his own safety. This man, the Bible tells us, is so filled with demonic oppression that he has supernatural strength. Even the chains people put on him, he's able to break in his rages and in his struggle. No one is strong enough to subdue him. 
And in a deeply tragic description, we read he was so troubled, held so captive by what Scripture tells us were the demonic forces, that all night and all day he would scream aloud and hurt himself. Friends, it's quite rare that we talk about powers, the demonic forces. They're not something to glorify, not something to be impressed by, not something to give attention to um, in that way. But we do need to be careful when we approach this area. We need to approach with great wisdom, with our understanding of modern psychology, illnesses. It's important we don't oversimplify, jump to conclusions, what can be very complicated situations. However, that all said, although we may not fully understand it all or be comfortable with it all, Scripture, there is no way of explaining this away here in this account. We're confronted with the reality of the demonic forces of darkness. Indeed, Jesus made it clear to us, we have an enemy who is real. He is the liar, comes to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus came to destroy his works. And he did on the cross. The liar's reign is coming to an end. He's thrashing about now, but his day is done, and it is certain. Jesus has the victory. And in this place, we have an example of the liar's appalling influence on someone's life. It's hard to imagine how this man felt confused and hurt and distressed and alone and trapped in despair. You can imagine the disciples get off the boat, see the tombs, they feel the atmosphere, they hear this screaming and cursing, guttural shouts, and see this wild and frightening figure running violently towards them. If it was me, I'd be back on that boat in a flash. <laughs> I don't know about you. Yeah, wrong place. Let's just keep moving on, shall we, Jesus? Not today, thank you. There's somewhere else to have breakfast. But among them was one who was anointed. And his name was Jesus, one who knew his calling. And instead of running, he stood. He knew his calling to come and change the spiritual atmosphere. His calling to shine a light in the darkness, to love those that are hurting, to set the captives free. And so he stands, I'm sure, the disciples stood, but probably just 10 metres behind. But Jesus stands and he speaks out to the man. Come out of him, impure spirit. Come out. The man rushes over to him. Interestingly, it's not just Jesus who knew his calling and knew his purpose. Knew his anointing. The demons did. They said, you're Jesus, son of God, get away from us. Don't hurt us. Don't torture us. They knew who he was. Jesus asks the man his name. He replies, we are legion, for we're many. Begs Jesus not to send them away. And then in what is a visceral and hugely striking image of the power of Jesus and the anointing he carried, the demons are given permission by Jesus to flee the man and they enter into this huge herd of 2,000 pigs which then rush down the steep bank and into a lake where they're drowned. Now, I cannot give you all the answers here, folks. I'd love to be able to. The commentaries couldn't either. <laughs> we can speculate the time pigs were considered unclean. Is it symbolic of a place of uncleanliness, of darkness? I don't know. Is they're rushing down and, and they're drowning? Is it as an amazing, visceral symbol 
of how the kingdom of God is now breaking into this place of utter darkness and holiness and despair and cleaning out all the mess, shining the light of God's favour, grace and healing. There's no doubt that the disciples would have been utterly amazed just as the locals were, but shocked and frightened in awe of who Jesus was. Rather than being brought down and driven away by the forces of darkness and the atmosphere of darkness and spiritual darkness, Jesus had the authority, the character, the compassion, the anointing to change that atmosphere, to bring about the freedom and healing of the presence of God, to bring about the kingdom of God. Jesus was not overcome by this place of darkness. Instead, he utterly transformed it with his light. As we look at the man now, we see what Jesus had come to do, transform lives. We see this man in his right mind, free from the pain and suffering, in a lovely detail, almost throwaway. We read he's not taking time to dress himself properly. He's no doubt talking and listening and chatting with Jesus. His life transformed entirely. He says, can I hang out with you? Not surprised. Jesus says, no. You've got a different calling. I want you to go back home and tell all the people that had locked you up or tried to lock you up with chains just what God has done. And the Bible says he did that and the people were amazed. Not only was this man set free, he now had a purpose. A calling to be someone who made a difference in this world to others. And you know, you and I are called to do the same. I'm going to finish here now. I'm going to land this. But I want to tell you, even greater than just a calling. You have more than just a testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. You have more than just a calling. I want to tell you again, you actually have an anointing, if you love the Lord Jesus. An empowering, an anointing for this lifelong task. You are anointed to make a difference in this world. If you are a Christian here, I want you to hear that. You have been anointed by the Holy Spirit to be an atmosphere changer, to see people set free, to see lives transformed by Jesus, which is what our vision is all about. 1 John 2 simply says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know Writing these things to you for the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And that anointing is real, not counterfeit. This amazing, personal, powerful, creative, courage-building, miracle-working, atmosphere-shaking, devil-destroying anointing of God's Spirit, which was only given to so few in the Old Testament, was carried in all its fullness by Jesus. It's now poured out on you and me, just like oil, to set us apart for the task we have in this world. So I hear it again. If you love Jesus, you're not called to be neutral in this world. If you love Jesus, you are called to be salt and light. If you love Jesus, you've been anointed by his Holy Spirit to make a difference. You carry what Jesus carried, the anointing of the Spirit friend of mine called Barbara, she's a chaplain. Someone said to her just the other day, when you're around, the atmosphere changes. Things feel different when you pop in. Like Barbara, you carry the presence of God. So start asking God for that fresh anointing each morning in your workplace, your home. Ask him to make you an atmosphere changer. You may say, Matt, how do I do it? I'm not loud or confident. 
How do I change the atmosphere? Well, sometimes it's the way we speak, the tone, the way we listen, the way we don't join in with things, the way we do join in with things, the kind we do, our prayers. Sometimes it's simply our smile or the countenance on our face, but sometimes it's simply none of these. Sometimes it's because that morning we spent time with Jesus and we asked him to refresh us and we asked the Holy Spirit to come. It's because we carry the presence of the anointing of the Holy Spirit with us to change the places that we go. Friends, in this time of national mourning, we remember a queen who was physically anointed with oil to make a difference in this world. But I want you to hear this morning, no matter what you thought you'd be when you grew up, whether you're already grown up and you still don't know what you want to be, that's fine too. You have a calling. It is clear and it is certain. The Spirit of the living God is upon you, for he has anointed you to bring good news to this world, to see the captives freed, the unloved cared for, the broken restored, the hurting forgiven by Jesus. He has anointed you to change the very atmosphere of the room you walk into. He has anointed you to be a person who makes a difference.